I have tried everything in my power. Sweet oranges I have tasted, but this mood is still sour. My forever I will not sacrifice to love you. And the moment's happiness I will not water and let bloom. You are the temporary enjoyment of bliss. The taste of your lips I do not fantasize to kiss. You are the wind so the moon dead not chase. Into those alluring eyes I feel no inclination to gaze. My dignity, my heart, my whole isn't one to be tendered and then trampled beneath your soul. Every sail of the day holds a number. On my queue you are, but not a date on my calendar. Animio Munomba Head behind me, Oshe. Take a careful look at me. I do not belong to you, okay? Everything in this garden is available as food for you. But I am the fruit of the tree that is not meant for you. I am your host, Wale. And today's episode, I will be telling you a story about a teenage girl named Doin. Her first education into what she perceived as womanhood and some of the perks that came with it. Welcome to Now You Are Here. It is the middle of November. It is holiday season for all primary and secondary schools and they will not resume until the new year. The time is 9am. All the children in the household are trying to have as much fun as they possibly can. Upon school's resumption, they might have enough to brag about who had the most fun. Even though this is an especially uneasy time for parents, it has its benefits. On the bright side, all housewives would especially value the presence of some extra pair of hands, depending on the number of children they have to assist with chores. This would enable them rest easy. In those days, the question of competence as a wife was raised when she hired a housemaid. And to prove her worth, everything must be done the hard way. In any case, this community is far from affluent. Trying to survive is enough challenge as it is, and hardly can anyone afford such luxury. This break also presented a unique opportunity to administer the much-needed dose of discipline required for these children to become responsible adults. Fathers get the bread, but mothers get to work. Recently, there has been news trending on the lips of many of these housewives. The gossip is fresh and tantalizing, and as is custom, some have taken the liberty of seasoning it with exaggeration, giving it more credence. The story is shameful, a taboo, but in this community, only the spicy gists get celebrity status. The children are not left in the dark. The lesson of this gossip is what will become the bulk of a critical aspect of their sex education. 
the effect being many mothers dissuading their girls from playing with boys. You see, in that old generation, not many of them are teenage mothers. And even though in their days this was unpopular, it was a thing of pride to boast about to their children. Okay, come closer. Let me give you the gist. Closer. Okay, that's good, that's good. Rumor had it that a certain girl of this community, whom we are not going to mention by name, had been put in the family way by a strange someone who fled the community. Of course, there are various speculations about who this strange someone was. Some said it was a boy with whom they went to school together. Others said it was one Abdul Rashid, who recently left the community for greener pastures. Wherever he was, he eloped. Here is another rumor. Some claim to have caught the duo displaying inappropriate affection to one another. Others said they even found them kissing. Whatever the love interest they both shared, the fact is they went behind closed doors and perpetrated a taboo, and no one knew when. That's it. I hope you're not expecting more information out of me, because this is the most you are going to get. I wasn't there. On the day of the big news, the girl's mother was inconsolable. It was as though she had lost her child. She dashed out of her rented apartment, ripped her blouse apart, and let out a humiliating cry. Mokuo, she has killed me. She has killed me. She has finished me. She kept saying over and over again. She threw herself on the floor and made into a spin. Her wrapper hung loosely against her waist, but she no longer cared for her dignity to conceal her nakedness. She bathed in the soil and threw some dust in the air. Some neighbors, housewives, gathered to console her. They request to know what happened, but the woman, absolutely consumed in her own grief, pays no heed to them and would not stop weeping. He noticed that she left the door to her apartment ajar and feel inclined to go in and inspect. Two of the women head for the room. It is a poorly furnished room and parlor, consisting mainly of the essentials, a bed, a few chairs, a small wardrobe, an old picture frame, and a cross hung on the wall. You could see some pots in the corner as well. Some clothes are scattered about in the room. The place is a mess. Almost instantly, the neighbors perceive a fetid smell. They try to make out its source. And alas, the woman's daughter is seen sobbing quietly in the corner. They ask her what is wrong with her mother. The poor girl attempts to speak amidst the tears, but she fails to utter any coherent speech. They persuade her to speak up, assuring her that if she had committed any wrongdoing, they would intercede in her behalf and would help her escape discipline. A familiar tactic that often proves to be a hoax. She tries again to make out words, but this time she gives way to vomiting. The two women stare at themselves in disbelief. This can only mean one thing. You are pregnant, they blurt out in unison. This was the moment that gave birth to the rumors. The girl's father, in an attempt to hide their disgrace, restrict her movements and keep her indoors. 
both parents vow never to speak of this episode to anyone. Even when some fake concern and inquire about the well-being of their daughter, they simply say she's fine and thank them. As for the young father, he's 17 year old, with much of his life still ahead of him and is very much dependent on his parents for his survival. His parents immediately make arrangements and have him sent off to another part of the city to work. His education is cancelled. He has begun to do what men do. He is now a man, his father said. So that's the story. But let me tell you about the girl named Doin. Recently, the neighbor's children, especially the boys, noticed a withdrawal from Doin. She doesn't play with them as often as she used to. But this morning, she is out playing the game of Sway with her childhood friends. Something is different about her. They notice the strap on her shoulder. It is a bra. She now needs them to hold her breasts. Her chest looks significantly bigger than they did the last time they all played together. As she hops on one leg between the large rectangles divided into eight squares drawn on the floor, her breasts jiggle. When she reaches the square which housed the seed of continuity, which she must pick and throw again in order to continue around, she stoops low to reach it while maintaining her other leg raised from touching the floor. Then she does something quite strange. She instinctively covers her chest with her other hand. This is not part of the rules of the game, but it holds no consequence. However, it does not go unnoticed. As she straightens up, the sunlight bounces on her ebony skin, radiating a beautiful shine. Remember Malik? Yes, that Malik. It is today that he acknowledges that Doni is truly beautiful. The first veil of adolescence has been casted off from his eyes. As she hops onto the next square to exit the game, he notices yet something he hadn't seen before. Her hips seem to be somewhat wider and her skirt shrink upwards. This is unbelievable. The childish boy lets out a scream, mocking her with respect to what he had just observed. He calls the rest of the children's attention to it. One of them said jokingly, Doing is pregnant and laughs. The other children laugh too. Although she still has the right of turn to keep playing, Doing, visibly embarrassed and upset, turns and runs away into her apartment, not to be seen again for the rest of the game. It is indeed a difficult time. And while she has so many questions, her mother does not prove to be the best source of comfort. Dunya has heard of many girls like her undergoing this phase and heard the distressing news that this is only for a lifetime. She is only 12 and every month for the past 6 months, she has had an august visitor, one who is not welcome, but its presence sets her entire body on fire. To cope, she found comfort in her teenage friends who attend the same school with her and her integrated science textbook which teaches her in simple terms all she needs to know about the biology of the woman. To make matters worse, 
now that one of the community's child has gotten pregnant. Her mother rings in her ear the taboo that she must never go near a boy in this time of her life. Otherwise, she would end up like a counterpart and bring shame on the family. She has never been so fearful and uncertain about any moment in her life like this one. Nothing helps. Before the incident, Mama Dunyan often sent her daughter to hawk some oranges as a means to provide extra income for the family. He could use the extra pair of legs available. Dunyan was familiar with all the nooks and crannies of the community and she would walk them till her merchandise was either sold or it had begun to get dark, whichever came first. It would seem that ever since Dunyan's physical features started to become more noticeable, she was able to sell more oranges within half the time it cost her before puberty, enabling her to make the trip twice, each time selling all her merchandise. Even those who did not want to buy oranges bought them just so they could have a chat with the girl. Needless to say, the eyes of the streets had discovered the unique kind of oranges the girl was carrying. Many times they flirted, teased and harassed her but to Doin's mother, it seemed a small price to pay for the profit her daughter was incurring. She even considered sending the child outside her familiar territory to reach more buyers. But after the big news of the pregnant girl, she recalled her back to the ambit of the immediate community, praying earnestly that her own daughter would not become the next big news on the community's tabloids. And then there is Michael. Michael is the younger of two. He is tall, light-skinned. He has piercing brown eyes and has a broad frame. He is sober and disciplined. Both of his parents have managed to weed out the rebellion that is often typical of young boys his age. He easily becomes the neighborhood's special child and a riveting example for all the boys to follow. His middle-class family recently moved into their new home a few weeks ago. He has much to learn about the customs of this place, and so he tries to make new friends. But it doesn't take him long to realize that the majority of the young people here are either in primary school or are just about entering junior secondary school. In his new environment, Michael quickly becomes lonely and often keeps to himself whenever his brother is absent. His older brother is learning the trade of becoming a tailor while he awaits his jam results that would enable him to gain admission into the university as an undergraduate. His parents are less present at home, both of them being civil servants, the nature of their jobs forever remaining a mystery to the rest of the neighborhood, who describe them as doing government work. Today, doing his orkina oranges in the street. She beckons all to patronize her as she cuts through. Oh, my son! That is to say, Orange Seller is called by a householder. She turns around trying to locate where the voice came from. 
And just then, Michael and Doin lock eyes. And like in a romantic movie, the world seems to slow down. In an instant, she notices his physical features, from the shape and color of his eyes to the color and cleanness of his skin under his singlet, from the shape of his nose to the sprouting strands of mustache growing underneath them. In this moment, she would realize that she has not seen the end to her development into becoming a woman. She feels a weird sensation that questions her consciousness. Her chest tighten and her lips quiver. Popular musicians will call this love, but this is only a mild attraction. Immediately, she remembered the principle behind the warning of not going near boys. That is to never befriend them. But this is patronage, and she must sell all the merchandise. So she walks toward his house, fixing her gaze on him. But just then, the voice is heard again, snapping her out of the trance that is building in her head. The voice alleged that it was he who called, and this is true. Michael had been tasked with sweeping the immediate compound of his home as his parents left for work. That was why he was outside his home in the first place. He was not out to buy any oranges, but he too was too captivated to speak. It would seem that he had found his match in a potential friend. He smiles at her. She is flustered, but does not smile back. Rather, she walks off hurriedly to the customer. She would spend the next few weeks thinking about him, and he, likewise. He would also form the habit of keeping an eye out his window, hoping that she passes the street in order that he might get to chat with her and get to know her better. Now, he has someone to look forward to seeing every day. But she will keep resisting him. A strange strategy, even though she has developed a crush for him. This is the beginning of a childhood romance. In time, the two get talking. Michael has many questions, like where she lives, why she hawks oranges, if she's in school, what class she's in, what her hobbies are, things like that. He is not like other boys. Doing has no special need, and the attention he gives her makes her feel special. Sometimes he walks with her on the streets while she hawks and even helps her advertise. He is eventually tagged as a lover boy. He even escorts her home even though she refuses and tries to send him away. But Michael is bold. He gives her the shock of her life by paying a surprise visit to her home one weekend and inquires of her from her neighbors. He gets introduced to her mother and sweeps her off her feet by being cultured and respectful. He greets her, prostrating completely on the ground, the Yoruba traditional way. And although Odoin's mother is big on tough love, she melts and wishes she had a son. But it is too late now. She tells him he can visit anytime and encourages him to make himself at home. Although the two have a clean friendship, it doesn't take long for everyone to presume that they are dating. 
This will spark jealousy among the boys who grew up with Doin. Whenever he is around the home, they refer to him as Oko. That is to say, husband. They both dispute this amidst smiles. Doin's fear of boys stands out on approval of her mother, but she never forgets. She reminds herself of her dreams to work hard at school, go to the university and obtain a degree and a great job, and then pull her and her mother out of poverty. But things do not go exactly as planned. Before you think this is like one of those Nollywood movies where the worst come to pass, this is where I invite you to take several seats. Their romance, although sweet, will have proved to have shown a brief but memorable light. Michael's parents, in light of their new circumstances, make arrangements for the young boy to change school. He would be attending a boarding school in a different state and would only be returning home once in a while. This news is unpleasant to doing. She fights back her tears and wishes him well. The next few nights will be tough as she prepares herself to getting used to not seeing him again. On their last time together, they would exchange gifts. Michael gifting her a necklace as a token of whatever this was. And Doin, having no material possession to give, offered to give her first hug to a boy she had only begun to know, a feeling he would treasure, as he remembered fondly the feeling of the softness of her skin against his chest and the resounding promise to see each other again soon on their next school holiday and rekindle whatever this was. That night, she would soak her pillow with tears and fondle keenly her gifts and recite their promise of never forgetting each other. In the future, this memory will prove to be childish nonsense and they will later find each other to be different person and laugh with their friends about the ridiculousness of this evening. Thank you for listening to today's episode. This story was written, edited, narrated, and produced by myself, Olawali Shobuli. The theme music was by Pixabay and edited by myself. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, kindly show your support by subscribing to Now You Are Here on Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcast. Tell a friend to tell a friend and see you on the next episode.